What is happening, everybody? Welcome back to another Tour Life. We've got a special co-host for you tonight. Calvin Heinberg is filling in for Yuli as Yuli comes back from his honeymoon. Uh, big shoes to fill. We had Simon Cohes last week, which was awesome. But Calvin is a fan favorite for sure on the show. So we have high hopes for today. Big show, though. Today is Wednesday, November 15th, 2023. We've got Ken Climo doing an exclusive interview with the Disc Golf Network with Brian Earhart. He says a few things that stir up some pros. Some pros agree. Some pros disagree. We'll kind of see where me and Calvin stand on that issue. Simon takes to Instagram with a hot take on us embracing the easiness of disc golf and trying to go more into that direction. We have also our first legit player movement rumor. I don't know if I can say legit and rumor in the same sentence, but I did just do, I just said it. We'll see if Calvin give us a little more insight on that. We've got stat leaders from the 2023 season uh, produced by UDISC. We'll break through all different stats. I also have some stats that I like and some stats that I don't like. And the last one is I challenge an amateur golfer to a thousand dollar match. Does he accept? We will find out. And then we'll finish the show off with some listener questions as well. Calvin, how's it going, brother? Thanks for joining the show. Yeah, I'm uh, happy to be here. Um, all is well. Uh, I've been, you know, kind of out and about the past couple of weeks, as I was telling you, just at a couple of different weddings, but um, headed home here tomorrow. And, uh, but yeah, everything's good. You went to Paige's wedding. You were talking about this before we went live. Yep. What is it like to go to a disc golf wedding? Is it, is it different than other weddings? Is there a different vibe to it? Um, you know, I, I think, uh, it may have been, you know, I don't know if I'd really call it a disc golf wedding. There, there were definitely disc golfers there, but there was quite a few people. I just, I honestly didn't know. So, um, okay. you know, it's kind of, kind of the same as, you know, many other weddings where, you know, a few people and then there's just a, a bunch that you don't know. So, uh, it was definitely fun. They, they held it in their, their backyard and, you know, they, they did a great job. It was weather, weather wasn't, you know, the greatest, but you know, it held it, the rain held off for the most part, but it was, uh, it was a really nice wedding and I was glad I got to go. Well, shout out to Paige for that. And, uh, you a dance guy at the weddings? Do we see you on the dance floor? I, I I've been out there the past, the past couple, the past couple weekends. So, yeah. What is this number one song that gets you out of your chair and on the dance floor? You know, if I'm being completely honest, I don't know if there's a song that does it. I think, uh, I think I just have to have the right number of drinks. Okay. Yeah. And, I think, and, I think then, a lot of people might answer good. Then anything's good, but no, <laughs> I, I'm not naturally inclined to just be a dancer out there, but. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. We used to go to a place back in college called the Atlantic. We would go on indie nights on Thursdays. Woo. It was a time brother. It was a time. Very few times did I ever leave with my shirt on. Uh, Dang, I'll, okay. I'll leave it. At, I'll leave it at that. Um, all right. There was a Raiders game this week. Last week, I said the Raiders are back. This week, I'm doubling down. The Raiders are back. Did we just beat one of the worst teams in the NFL last week, the Giants? Yes. Did we just beat another terrible team in the New York Jets this week? Yes. Are they going to go and get absolutely annihilated to the Miami Dolphins next week uh, or th this Sunday? Most likely. But we did win. It was also a primetime game, 
And if you guys watched on TV, you might have saw Kelsey. Kelsey made TV primetime a few times. I think Silas has a clip here that we can show. She's on the very left side at the very end right there. Boom. TV appearance. Number, uh, I think she made it twice, actually, which is always cool uh, when she gets to get on TV and then you guys send the tweets and stuff. So I appreciate it. Calvin, I have a question for you, though. Yep. You being pro... <clears throat> I always, I always get almonds stuck in my throat. I need to stop eating almonds before the show. One second. It's, it's literally the worst, the worst nut in the world is an almond. Um, as far as just being able to talk after you eat. My question to you, if you showed up to a sports game, okay, so whether it be NFL, NBA, NHL, I don't care. Is it okay to wear a jersey from a team that is not competing in that game? You know, I always find it weird when I see people doing it. You know, you rep, you can rep your team, I guess. I guess it's acceptable, but I mean, is that kind of like a look at me type of thing? Is that what, is that like a look at me energy from these people? I think so. I think it kind of is. Because, like, because why are you going to that know, game? I think, I think when you're at a sporting event, um, as a fan, you're, you're kind of in, embracing generally, like, a group mentality of, of rooting for, you know, home or away. And, uh, yeah. you know, being different than either of that, that is kind of, it does kind of seem like a look at me. So, I, I think it's acceptable, but would I do it? No. There was a guy in front of us that was wearing a Tua jersey, a Miami Dolphins Tua. Now, maybe maybe this was, like, Maybe this was some sort of, uh, yeah, like some, uh, what is it, Connor Stallings? Is that the Michigan cheater guy that was yeah. like on the sideline? Maybe it's one of those things. Maybe Miami paid him to go to the Raiders game to start getting uh, some signs for next week. I'm not sure. Um, I will say this. I am definitely more of like the home guy. I think it's just more fun that way. I'm not, I don't have a baseball team. So when me and Kelsey went to the World Series back when it was the Astros versus the Dodgers, we just got gear for the home team so we had astro and astros hat when they were playing houston and then we went out to la to watch the game out there we had all dodgers gear on it, it's fun to root for the home team when you don't have like a, a chicken in the race that's not the right saying a hen in the race a dog in the race that's, that's the right race. saying a dog in the race so um it, it, it's an interesting vibe when you see someone show up to a, a a game and you're like that that team's not playing i don't what are you doing sir um all right Let's go to the Ken Climo interview real quick. Uh, that's the next thing I want to talk about. So Ken Climo sat down with Brian Earhart, who is potentially turning into one of the best interviews, one of the best disc golf media, one of the best people I think disc golf has right now. And he sat down and had an interview with the champ, Ken Climo. And the, the clip that they decided to pull out to kind of promote the interview, to promote people to go to watch, was this one so we'll play this right now for everyone first started playing i first started playing there were single chain baskets with trays that were about this deep and you'd hit a putt perfectly and it would go down into the tray and it would scoop around the back and flop out so there was a certain amount of touch you needed to 
to have to make the putt. You, know, you couldn't just rip it in there. It would blow, chains would blow apart, it would hit the pole and come back at you, or it would scoop around and go out. So that's kind of why I developed my putt. It was a little bit softer, you know, not quite as hard in there, up to down, so it's going down into the basket, and better off, it's gonna have a better chance of catching it if it's going down in the basket. Nowadays, the baskets are this deep, the disc doesn't scoop out the back, there's 48 chains in a what, you know, and you can slam them in there and it catches it. So I think that may be where the, the game can take a hint from the past and add a little more touch into the game. Because in ball golf, you have to have touch around the hole. Perfect speed. Perfect speed, you know, stuff like that. And either a smaller basket or whatever, I think something basket-related could be where the game could become tougher. All right, initial thoughts there, Calvin. Um. Yeah, I don't think those are any thoughts that, you know, I, that haven't been heard before or, or thought. The baskets have, basket technology is way different now. I mean, there are a ton more chains and it actually is like, I, I agree with some of the points you made. Like, like one of my least favorite baskets is, is the Mach X because of literally how dense it is. And you can throw a disc 80 miles an hour into it and it's not, not gonna, it's not gonna miss. And and that's, I, I do agree with the fact that I, I feel like we're slowly removing touch from the game. I don't know if we need to uh, go all the way back to single chain baskets. I think there's an element of, you know, kind of flukiness to it. But um, I, I do think basket change would be a pretty, pretty easy fix to probably, you know, make the game tougher. Maybe not easy. Easy is the wrong word, but it is, it is something that we could do and it wouldn't be terribly hard to implement um everywhere so I, I i've i've kind of felt like making it smaller maybe the better the better solution but um you know maybe removing some chains also would do the same thing yeah and i think two things with changing the basket happens right with with making putting more difficult by having let's say a smaller target or something that you know a 30-foot a putt becomes a little bit more challenging one that puts more pressure and, and um, also puts more incentive on being able to throw closer to the basket. So yeah. players that have better accuracy off the tee or approach shots now are more likely to excel than right now. There isn't that much difference between landing 40 feet from the basket and landing 30 feet from the basket. So that's one. And then the second one too is I think it really – allows disc golf designers to set up greens in a way to where now the thought of like, Oh, there's a real chance of me missing everything. And now where does the disc end up? So where we see right now, people kind of maybe 50 feet away or 45 feet away, kind of lay up sometimes or play soft to certain baskets when there's trouble behind. I think we could see more of that when there is, you know, 30 feet or something if the baskets got smaller. Now, I don't want spit outs. And so that's why I've always said I'm cool with just moving in the chains and then moving out the basket. So that way, to me, I feel like if you hit the, ba if you hit the chains, it should stay in the basket. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think to a point, I mean, you just, you don't want to make the trade too big to where if you're hitting one chain, you're still somehow flopping in, I feel like, but. I, I, but I if the chains were moved in quite a bit, hitting one chain is still okay. Like is still closer to where we are right now, where you know 
that that's what I'm saying is you'd have to move yeah. in like six inches. I don't know what the number is, but you'd move it in in a way to where that is like it's a much uh, much more narrow target. Yeah, I could I could see that that working for sure. I mean, it would definitely take you know some testing and you know I don't know exactly where you you implement those tests and and who would be doing them, but I think that's a an interesting concept. I don't know how many people have actually tried. I, I know there are a handful of people out there that have been tweaking around with baskets for for a while, but I don't. It doesn't really seem like it ever gets that far um, beyond them just doing it in their backyard. So there was a couple people in the comments on this. I believe this was posted on, I mean, it was posted everywhere, but there was a couple people that came, uh, some pros. So you had Nico say, when the champ talks, everyone needs to listen. And then you had uh, Zach Melton giving the three kind of preacher hands. So he, he likes what he hears. And then you had Big Germ. Big Germ kind of went in opposite direction. Big Germ goes, love Climo, and I usually love his opinions. I do not like this take. In my opinion, disc golf evolved to the point where it is now by respecting the player's skill and rewarding proper accuracy with a higher percentage of made putts. Smaller cages, fewer chains, etc., is a regression for, 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 for professional play in every sense of the word. So I see a little bit of his point of where he's saying like he wants to have more emphasis on rewarding player's skill and accuracy, but what I what I fail is like making the target harder is actually going to put that emphasis. Someone, yeah. someone that throws, you know, to five to ten feet on every hole is no longer going to take the same score as someone that's throwing to 25 feet on every hole. So that's where it's like I would love to see that be more uh more separation is like more emphasis off the tee and then also just making it to where like a 20 foot putt no longer becomes a, Oh, he misses it. Like that was a huge choke job more of just like, Hey, you're going to miss some every once in a while. Yeah. I, I agree with that. I think, uh, you know, it, it, at first it'll be, it'll be tough to kind of adapt as a player, but I think in the end, yeah, I think people that are more skilled, are going to shine in that scenario where the target's harder to hit from, from any distance. And then as you were talking about earlier, just, you know, I, I, I do think putting is like the most overpowered thing in, in disc golf and its current state. So um, if you do make the target a little smaller, if you're a great putter, like you're still going to excel, you're going to be hitting basket and staying close even when you miss, but it does reward those people that, that are, better off the tee as to where now there's such a big area you can land in if you're a good putter it's um yeah i I do think the game's a little imbalanced in that sense yeah um so simon actually i don't know if this was in regards to climo's post but this kind of goes hand in hand a little bit simon took to instagram and made this post he says disc golf should embrace being easier than golf this debate has been going on for ages. The scoring is too easy. It makes our sport look bad. Too easy if players shoot double digits under par. People won't take us seriously with scores so low. I disagree. Low scores are not what are holding us back. We're trying to make our scoring tougher by adding OB, making crazy greens, and often players get punished really hard for small mistakes. Gimmicky greens and gimmicky fairways lead to too much randomness in our game. 
That's what makes us look bad. And all and and all for the sake of trying to get us to score closer to golf scores. How about we just accept that disc golf is easier? We start designing challenging and fair courses and players will shoot 10 to 16 under par. As long as putting is as easy as it is, these scores should be the norm in my opinion. Is bowling going to change their game because the pros get a strike almost every time? No. Is darts going to make the field smaller because the pros almost never miss? No. Give us a smaller target to aim for. Give us a smaller or better target to aim for, or let's embrace the fact that disc golf is not like golf. Ooh, that, a lot, a lot to unpack here. Um, so let's kind of let's kind of break it down. Do you think the first part he talks about is the idea that scoring is too easy and it kind of makes the sport look bad? Do you agree with those people that say that? Or do you agree with Simon that that is not the issue um, that we should be concerned with? Um, I, I do think you have to be concerned with scoring super low on a regular basis because at some point, like, you have to realize, like, we are a relatively new sport and it's still changing and evolving and people are continuing to push different limits. So if when people are shooting 16 down now, I feel like, you know, you're not, you're not pushing people to get any, any better. So I do think courses being too easy is an issue. And I feel like it's like would prevent, you know, the next generation from pushing, you know, the boundary even farther and, and, I mean, like you look at golf and like even golf is like changed, like courses, courses aren't the same now as they were whatever, a hundred years ago. So mm-hmm. I, I think we do have to be aware of it. I don't, I don't see it as like when it happens, as it being an issue? I think it's just like, okay, this is happening. This course either needs to change or we need to move on. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I agree with him in this take where he's saying, you know, making greens super gimmicky or making fairways super gimmicky uh to add the randomness uh, randomness to the game i think that is a bad look it's it's the yeah. same thing as i've always said is like when we play in the woods and you have trees 300 350 feet down the fairway in the fairway that also adds the randomness to disc golf of where you're not rewarding good shots and you're making it to where some people's good shots get punished um so those things i'm not i'm not a fan of uh by any means but i'm with you i think twofold one it was interesting that the two sports that he listed he listed bowling and darts i would i would say both those sports are pretty niche and neither one of them i could be wrong but neither one of them has really probably gained all that much attraction or a following over the years because there's what 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 can you do with those sports, right? Bowling, for example, they've done some things where like lanes are different, so the oil patterns are different from one lane to the next. Yeah. But that's something as a viewer is very hard for me to kind of get any sort of um, idea of what that actually is, and I think that actually holds back the sports. I've always said I don't think disc golf going towards the dart the dart realm of where guys are just stepping up and just executing, executing, executing. I don't think that's the right right way. The one thing that disc golf has that bowling and darts don't have is strategy, uh, game management, decision-making. There really isn't that much in darts and bowling. 
It's more of like, this is the right thing to do. Can you execute it? And I know there's going to be some darts and bowling people and being like, oh, you don't know what I'm talking. For the most part, that is kind of how it is. It's can you execute when the pressure is on? And I feel like disc golf, the part that really attracts me is this decision-making. What is Calvin going to do here? Versus if you make it to where it's just cut and dry, this is what you need to do. Who can, who can execute it the best? I think we miss a huge part there. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. I think, yeah, I mean, I think that's just part of golf or any, any sport that's a derivative or, you know, came from golf. Decision-making is pretty important. And, and honestly, like it kind of ties back into some, some course design sometimes. And, when I look at courses I don't like, it's because there is really no decision to be made. It's just like, it's more like darts. You either do it or you, you execute or you don't. And um, like we see some courses like that where it's like, you don't execute, you go to the drop zone. And it's like, you don't execute yeah. from the drop zone, you go to the next drop zone. And that, that starts to get more towards, you know, the darts realm, I feel like. And and um, yeah, I don't I don't think that's, that's very, very fun because it's, there is no choices to be made. Everyone's trying to do the exact same thing. And um, it's just completely execution at that point. And no one can kind of approach a course in their own way. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the other thing that goes into me, like going against this idea of shooting 10 to 16 under par, if, if I was trying to beat you, let's say me and you had a bet and I was trying to do everything I could to beat you, I would take you on a course that was easy. I wouldn't go to a hard course. I would go to a course where there might be one or two holes that I think I, I might not birdie, but the other 16 I'm birding every single time. Because in that course, now I only have to beat you on one or two holes. And there's a chance for me to beat you on one or two holes versus yeah. me trying to beat you on 18 holes. The more holes that add in the variability, the difficulty, the less likely I have at beating you. And so when you end up playing these courses and these courses that we shoot 10 to 16 under par, when you end up playing these courses that have two or three holes that the majority of the top field are birding, you, you now are limiting the number of holes to be able to like separate yourself from the field. So yeah. that's where it's like, I don't think we should be going towards the direction of easy just to be easy. But we yeah. also shouldn't be going in the direction of, hard to be hard and it needs to be fair so i agree with him on that i'm not for the gimmicky greens i'm not for the gimmicky fairways i'm not for any of that but we got to find a way to make courses where people that are throwing well people that are putting well score well and people that aren't are not scoring well yep yeah i i definitely agree with with that um you know and that's that's easier said than done but uh, yes. and i do think sometimes we know we're going to as, as courses are evolving, you know, there's going to be things that maybe were too hard and that's okay. Well, we figure that out and we, you know, you fix it for the next year, but I don't, I don't think, you know, a lot of courses aren't just like completely tearing themselves up and, and trying a completely new layout the next year. It's like, there might be two or three changes and, you know, you kind of see what was good, what was bad. And, you know, maybe you change something back or you make a few more the next year. So I don't know. I, I think it's, it's all kind of a slow progression, but you know, we are slowly figuring out what's working and what's not. And it's also a balance of figuring out what's, what's working now. Is it going to work in five years or, or is it not like, are we going to be that much better? You know, so as a whole, that's too hard. Now it's just going to be a standard hole, you know? Yeah, in, no, in exactly. 
And I, I, I guess, you know, maybe I can try to talk to Simon a little bit more about what his thoughts are on this because it is always interesting when good players have this thought, right? Like when good players are like, no, we should keep going this direction of easy. I feel like you want the opposite. I think you want to make it as hard as possible because that benefits you more. You, the, the players that are lower in the field, they want courses to be super easy because there's just less sort scoring separations. So um, maybe I can, I can chat with him and get a little more thoughts on that, but uh, always, always going to be an interesting thing when we come to what scores are, because there's also a lot of people that love just seeing 16 under. And then there's a bunch of people that love seeing like two, four, five under be a good round. So yeah. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting. All right. Let's talk a little player movement. There hasn't been too much action this offseason. We're still just in November, so still plenty of time. A lot of people's contracts, we've kind of went over a couple episodes ago, how many contracts are kind of up on the table. We haven't really heard much, but we did get one signing. This is from Joseph Anderson. Joseph Anderson signs a two-year deal with Castaplast. Um, He's potentially a rookie of the year this year. He had a couple really good finishes towards the end of the year. He got 12th at USDGC, and he got a top 20 at MVP Open. So Castaplast signs two years. It'll be interesting to kind of see how Castaplast, Discmania, um, Latitude, all Trilogy, Westside, how dynamic, how they all go now that they kind of are all under the same umbrella. Um, This was like the first signing that we've seen. Now... Everyone pay attention to Calvin here. If you're watching live right now, we'll see if we can get any sort of any sort of Intel off this next rumor. So this rumor was broken on grip locked on Monday by Hunter. He said someone DM'd him this and said that his friend played in a tournament with Emerson Keith, who said he's going to be signing with Innova. Do you have any thoughts on that Calvin? I haven't talked to Emerson recently and honestly, I really haven't talked to anyone at Innova recently. So I, I don't have any insights on that. Um, I do know that Emerson was, was shopping around. Um, okay. he, he, he was talking to me about that before the, the season was over. Maybe it was at the pro tour finale, uh, when I last saw him, but, um, did he just do yeah. one year with Lone Star? Yep, uh, he, he had a one-year deal there with Lone Star. Yeah, okay. I believe he was with Latitude the year before. Prior. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think he had that one-year deal with um, Lone Star, and then I do know he was he was shopping around again. So it, it'll be interesting to see if he if he did end up going, uh, you know, with Innova. He did have that that big win out at OTB this year, so um, I'm sure he's he's looking to kind of get paid for that, and um, you know, looking for someone that. You know, he's got a family too. So it's one to support him and allow him to keep doing this and while he still can can financially provide for for his family. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see kind of how that goes with Lone Star, right? Lone Star ends up signing a whole bunch of players last offseason. The biggest name was probably Nico LaCastro. But I think you could argue that Emerson probably had a better season with that win than Nico did. And so it would be interesting to kind of see when this all settles, how it all worked out. Was it one of those situations where Lone Star still wanted to move forward with Nico being their kind of face of their brand? And Emerson was like, hey, I won a elite event last year. Not that many people did that. I want to go forward. 
uh, and be more of a, I don't know, face, I guess, for the brand. So it'll be interesting to kind of see what happens. But that was the first first real rumor that's kind of been uh, started, I guess, right now is Emerson to Innova. So we'll see kind of how that goes. All right, moving on, we've got uh, UDISC. UDISC dropped stats for the 2023 season. Um, there's two things, Calvin. Here comes the balloons. I forgot that. Oh, they weren't ready for me. Have you seen the balloons yet, Calvin? I haven't. <laughs> there you go. Now you've seen the balloons. There they are. Um, so there's two things that I think would increase disc golf uh, views, whether it's live or on on social media. And those two things, betting. So if we can get, I know prize picks was in it for a little bit, but I don't think they had the resources to set good lines. But betting, yeah. you're going to get a bunch of new people to just tune in for their bets. And then the second thing is statistics. I think getting better stats, having stuff to where the commentators can make the coverage better, having stuff for media like this podcast to where we can discuss statistics. Those are the two things I think that would actually help disc golf grow. And here we have UDISC providing us with some pretty cool stats. So we're going to go through these real quick. Hopefully Silas can pull them up and you can actually see them. If not, Calvin, I will kind of read them off to you and the listeners okay. as well. So the uh-huh. first one here is the best circle one putters for the 2023 season. Th- these are all MPO stats too. So we've got Andrew Marweed, who actually breaks his previous record last year and, and puts 93.1% from circle one. Insane. Um, then we have James Proctor at 90, Chandler Fry 89.5, Blair at 89.4, Paul Kranz at 88.8. Uh, our tr- tour life coho or core life co-host Paul Yulberry 88.6, Colt Montgomery 88.4. I don't know this name at all. Elias Matilia must be some European player because they only made 126 out of 143 so didn't play that many events uh 88.1 eagle at 88 and then simon at 87.3 any names on here surprise you anything from this list that jump out at you i mean not not really i mean yeah i'm i don't know i mean i can't really read the text here but the one that the guy that you weren't familiar with i don't know him but um, nothing too surprising. I mean, I definitely, you know, we were talking about earlier in the year how well Proctor was putting, and then we always know how well Andrew's part uh, putting, Chandler mm-hmm. as well. So, I mean, none of these names are that surprising. I mean, I, I mean, I, I see that we have like the the amount of putts made, and then I mean, I, is the third line the the attempts? I'm guessing. Yeah. So you have putts made okay. versus putts attempted. So you have like Marweed. Marweed ended up missing only 46 putts out of 666. So that's Dang. pretty, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Yeah. That's I, pretty good. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, that's, that's really good. Some, I someone feel like in chat like, actually just, someone in chat real quick just said, it's interesting that the top five putters didn't win big events. Interesting. Yeah. I, Honestly, I think, top, top eight, right? No one. Yeah, Eagle yeah. was the only one that did. Eagle, he yeah, Eagle. State. 
Yeah. Which was a silver series. And then he won another silver series, this Mania Open, mm-hmm. I believe. But yeah, I, I mean, I think it's just one of those things where um, it doesn't always translate. You have to, you have to throw it, throw it there. That, that's why yeah. I think, I don't know. It like just looking at the stat individually definitely never tells the whole picture. That's why there's more than putting is more isn't the only aspect of the game, but I would also be interested to see the, um, like the breakdown on like where these putts were, were made from, you know, like that's, that's big for me. Yeah. Because like, you know, you can have someone throwing it into circle two a lot and then they're missing their next putt to like 15 feet. And then it's like, they're basically tapping in. Um, but I mean, it, I don't know. None of those names are that surprising to me. They're all putters that, that I've definitely, you know, watched and, and seen do incredible things on the course. But it, I, now, I do think it is surprising that none of them really won. did win. Yeah. Now C2, C2 putting, uh, this tells a little bit more of a story as far as if we're translating to win. You have Gannon Burr leading the way at 40.4%. I did not know he was that high. That's ridiculous. That's really good. Matty O's at 37.1. Nate Metzler is at 37%, but he only made 20 putts. So yeah. I don't low. know if that really, it's super low, right? Ricky Wysocki, 36.8. James Proctor, 35.8. Corey Ellis, 34.6. Ties with Matt Bell. Um, Marweed again at 34%. Uh, Reed Friscara at 33, also tied with Chandler Fry at 33. So this tells a little bit more of a story, I think, as far as like what translates more to wins, right? Because you've got people like Gannon Burr, Matteo, and Ricky Wysocki all in the top four. And then you have a major champion winner right there at number six with Corey Ellis. So uh, yeah. 40.4 though, that is, man, I, that that has to be the first time anyone's ever played a full season and it was over 40% for circle two putting. That seems so high. That's incredibly high. I mean, it's really impressive. I mean, yeah, because, I mean, he basically played every event. So, I mean, it's not like yeah. he's he's got a lot yeah, he of went, large sample size. He, he, made he made the most circle two putts out of everyone at 167 out wow. of 413. Yeah, so he made, he made a lot. That's, I mean, that's saving so many strokes right there. Uh, next one we have, this one's an interesting one. Longest streak, longest streak with no missed circle one putts goes to ours truly, Paul Yuleberry, 148. 148 circle one putts in a row, spanning from hole 17, round three at preserve, all the way to the European Open, round three, hole two. So it sounds wow. like he missed a circle one putt on that. Uh, par five at European Open. Probably he's had like an uphill putt. Probably well, two first. is the forehand. Oh, what do you think? Do you think? Oh, yeah. That, it says last hole. Yeah. yeah, it says last yeah. hole in the streak. So I'm guessing hole three you're, is when it got yeah, broken. Yeah, you're you're right there. Yeah. yeah. So he probably just had like a, a tough uphill, like 30 footer or something. He might yeah. even laid that up, honestly, if it was like. Yeah. Kind of a scary putt, but shout yeah. out to Paul. That's 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 impressive. 146 or 148 putts in a row inside a circle without a miss. That's that is solid stuff right there. I feel um, like my streak th- would have been like seven. <laughs> you think you're single digits? <laughs> maybe, maybe twelve. Maybe twelve. Um, I don't know. 
maybe someone from UDIS that's watching this can can look up what Calvin's uh, longest streak of made circle one putts is. Uh, someone give us that data. We'll, 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 we'll send that over to you next week. Um, all right, this next one's interesting. So there's a new stat that UDIS came out with. It's called the Precise Power Index, the PPI. Um, this is the high. This is the higher a player's average PPI. So the higher the number, the more accurate that they've proven to be when throwing distance shots. So for MPO, shots over 400 feet is what this is calculating. Calvin, yeah. you're sitting at number one here. Number one in the PPI. This is at 54.2. Next closest, Simon Lazat at 50.9. Um, and then we actually have a bunch of European players on here too. Um, like half, half the, uh, half the field here is European. And then we also have Eagle, AB and Jake, uh, Hebenheimer also on this list as well. So these are all guys, again, I'm not surprised with any of these names. These are all people that throw far, but also accurately. So yeah. this is, um, this kind of goes back to, you, you know, why have you been so successful on tour? Well, any hole that's over 400 feet, you're doing pretty good on it. Um, which also probably makes you want to have probably more holes that require, because again, when you, when you increase the distance, right? If we have a 300 foot hole versus a 400 foot hole, if you're off by a little bit on the 300 foot hole, you probably could still make birdie. If you're off a little bit on the 400 foot hole, a birdie is much more difficult. So this is where you kind of being as accurate as you are, uh helps a little bit more right yeah yeah i think um that is definitely the case i think you know me personally i i guess i would love all the holes to be longer but uh but no i i think the the mistakes definitely get amplified as you you know stretch the course a little bit longer um you know people are starting to I don't know. I, I just think faster discs are also a little bit touchier. Um, there's a little more movement yes. in the flight and, you know, more things to go wrong. No, for sure. And also, you, you know, you're having some people have to, you know, throw maybe a hyzer flip or having, having something to, or yeah. a flex to get that distance. Um, so that definitely involves a little bit more uh, error as well. All right. The next stat, I want to talk a little bit about this because I think this one actually needs to change. So this is the best fairway hit rate from the 2023 season, you have Albert Hitton at 81.2%. And then yourself is at 80.5, followed by Kale LaVisca at 78.9. Some other notable names on here. You have Isaac in the top five, Chris Dickerson and Nicholas Antilla, both in the top 10. Now, what I want to talk about this though, is this is the definition of a fairway hit. So fairway hits only cover players' first shots on par threes and par fours. On a par three, a player's drive has to come to rest within C2 to count as a fairway hit. On a par four, the player's first shot needs to be in the fairway, uh, not in the woods, not OB, not in a hazard, or in C2. On a par five, a player can earn zero, one, or two fairway hits. If a player first shot lands in the fairway, it counts as a fairway hit. Um, a player's second shot can land in the fairway or in C2 and also count as a fairway hit. This is my thoughts on this. I don't like fairway hits as a part of par threes. I think those, I don't think they should be added in there. And I think it should only be your tee shot on par fives. So I think it should only be tee shots on par fours, tee shots on par fives, 
that is your fairway hit percentage. Yeah, I mean that that that's definitely fair. I think um I don't know. I I do I guess greens and regulation does kind of cover the yes the, the par three. So it's not you're like, like getting a double up. dip. Yeah, you're getting like yeah. a double dip situation there, which doesn't really make too much sense. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I think think you're right where par threes are are definitely covered already with uh greens and regulation and you know I guess the the flip side is is like what if you you shank it on a par three like what how I mean you are getting punished on not hitting a green regulation but like you're also not hitting a fairway but I guess you're really not trying to hit a fairway on a par yeah, three there's not really no a par, that's that's my thing is there's like I don't think you should be able to um I mean I I'm I'm happy that you have to land in C2 at least right so you can't lay up let's say in into yeah. the imaginary fairway and that counts but yeah i think i think you kind of just double dip in that scenario and then the reason why i don't like it being the second shot for a par five is there are some times where you might just be in a really bad spot after your drive you're already penalized with missing the fairway on your drive i don't think yeah. you should get double penalized for not being able to like scramble out scramble of the woods to get back into the fairway right so yeah. that's where that's where I think again this all the whole reason for all these stats is for us to get a better picture and so I think having removing those two I think that gives us a better picture of who is landing in the fairway off their tee shot off, off that, the tee. that's what I want to see yeah yeah no I I agree with that I think that makes a lot of sense if that I mean that does seem to be like the primary you know intent of the stat is to see who's hitting the fairway off the tee and with part three is already being covered i could see that just being completely thrown out and now you're seeing who's hitting the fairways on the fours and fives and it probably tells a better story than you know including them all together because a perfect example of that is let's say you throw a perfect tee shot on um is it hole 12 at northwood black the par five yeah yeah you throw like a perfect tee shot right and then you throw your second shot and it just like barely skips left into the rough. I don't think yeah. you should get penalized for the fairway not being hit there. So there's certain par fives, especially where it's like your second shot's kind of fluky to whether or not you're going to be in the fairway um, anyway. So that, yeah. I think that actually clears up the stat a little bit. Um, all right, this one, I'll just jump real quick. This is biggest jumps in disc golf world ranking. I'm not super, like, I don't think this tells me too much because a lot of these players are Europeans that just didn't play that much. So they had low world rankings. And I think because there was a lot more um, tournaments now in Europe that, you know, Paul going over there, a lot of people going over there and playing, I think that moves some of these people up. So, but some of these that are, are um, notable, I think James Proctor here, James Proctor went from 41st in the world to 16th. Ezra Robinson had an incredible year. He went from 47th in the world to 19th. And then the other one I would say is like Zach Arlinghouse. Zach Arlinghouse went from 120 to 66, moving up 54 spots. So some good movement from some of these players as well. And again, this is a statistic that the more people are playing, I think um, consistently that actually will factor in a little bit more. But for right now, it's kind of like, it's tough to see. I'm guessing Um, that was... I'm guessing that was yep. based off of, of, off of their ranking system as well, right? 
Correct. Or, That's got to yeah. be off of UDISC. Yeah. Okay. Um, all right. To run through a little bit, I'm just going to do kind of top fives here. So top five, highest birdie rates. You have Calvin, Eagle, Ricky, Gannon, and Paul. Then you've got uh, most Eagles. Calvin again at the top by four. Holy smokes. Then you've got uh, Gossage, AB, Eagle, Hebenheimer, Kevin Jones, Ty Love, all in fifth. Um, lowest bogey rates. Paul Kranz, he only bogeyed 12 holes out of 162. That's a wild That's stat. Kale LaVisca only, birdied, only bogeyed 17 holes out of 216. Um, and then Paul, it was at 78 bogeys out of 968. And then Calvin, 128 bogeys, but out of 1,438. So pretty impressive there. Uh, longest bogey free streak. Eagle McMahon, 95 holes without a bogey. That was from Champions Champions Cup round two, hole one, the Jonesboro Open round three, hole five. So he bogeyed hole six. So he probably went for the birdie. Or no, he, he probably just went OB. That's the island hole. Yeah, that's the island hole. Yeah, so he just he just probably threw it OB. And there he goes, first bogey. Crazy right there. Um, best scramble rates. I'm not even going to list these because this is another statistic that I think is broken. I think scramble, the way that they have it listed here, the scramble stat tracks a player's ability to recover from an off-target drive and avoid carding a bogey. If a player ever throws OB or off the fairway and still earns par or better on a hole, they've success- successfully scrambled. There is a massive difference between throwing off the fairway and getting a par and throwing OB and getting a par. So I think if we're, again, if we're looking more just at the stats, if I want to know who throws a shot in a bad spot and can still get up and down, throwing OB doesn't, and getting up and down from there doesn't really tell me that much because you're not really scrambling a lot of times. Like you're just, you're yeah. just in kind of the fairway still, but you just have to get up and down. The scramble I want to know is like when you're in the woods, right? Like when you're off and you're having to throw a crazy shot to kind of get back. To me, I think that's a more valuable stat. What are your thoughts on the scramble? Yeah, I I kind of agree, but I don't know. I guess it's kind of, so what, what are you calling, you know, someone that throws out of bounds and still gets up and down, you know? I don't know. It, it, there, there are still yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what you would. I don't know what you would necessarily call that. Yeah. Um, yeah, because I think you no. Know, there's some instances where if you throw a B off the tee, you're not. You're you have no chance at a par. So, to me, that yeah. makes no sense that you're getting double penalized again. From a stats why, from a stat standpoint, if I'm trying to figure out who's really good at scrambling, that doesn't really help me. If you're you know throwing OB and now your second shot is 500 feet away. Like, well, yeah, you're probably not going to get up and down from there. Yeah. I, but I, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know if like scrambling should, I don't know if the stat has to like take into, I mean, if you throw that bad of a first shot, you know, you're, you're getting punished there. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I feel like you still are scrambling when you're, when you're throwing out of bounds, but I do get what you're saying. Like when you think about scrambling in the traditional sense, you I mean, if I, if you talk about scrambling, I instantly think about someone in the woods off the fairway. Yeah. That is the first thing I think about. But then again, like a bunch of the courses we play, that's, 
that's not even a thing that happens, you know? Like someone we suggested so uh, someone suggested recovery stat. Okay. Yeah, I mean I could see that. You have a recovery stat for you know whatever. That gives me a little bit more information on okay, this person went OB a bunch, but they were able to somehow save par with the recover yeah. like the recovery percentage versus oh, this person was just not able to stay in the fairway at all, like on a wooded course, yeah. but they were still able to make par. Like they were scrambling really well. Those are, yeah. those are two different. Yeah, they are definitely different. But I also think, um, I mean, it, make it, a little, it might get a little jumbled if you look at like a scramble stat on a season, but generally like we have our wooded courses and our open courses. So if you're looking at that stat for an individual event, it's probably, you know, you know, it would either be the recovery stat or the scramble stat. I don't think it's very often you're going to be having events that like are like half and half dipping into, you know, both of those stats. I think a lot of the time it's kind of going to be either one or the other. Yeah, there's only a couple of tournaments that we play now that have us on like a wooded course and an open course. It's kind of yeah. one or the other. So, yeah. yeah. All right. I don't know if you heard about this. You probably didn't. You probably have other things going on, but I have to address it. So there was some sort of post made on Facebook or something. Uh, I think this one actually was something in regards to like who sells the most discs. And it had a list of a bunch of different people. And this was someone's response. Someone's response was, um, and again, I'm going to read this word for word. Okay. So, do not come after me. This is from Brian Sage. Wow, that went crazy. Oh, wait, no, sorry, that's a different. Wait, he went, what was the first one? This is the first one. Okay. Uh, so his response was Brody. Well, he spelled it without the R. Even though he's no, he's no really good, that good, LOL. Don't see him winning anything or even making chase card, LOL. Or close, LOL. I don't even consider him a pro disc golfer, LOL. I'd probably beat him, LOL. So I responded. Well, first off, I looked him up, right? He has his name here, so I looked him up. Shout out to the PDGA for making it really easy to look players up. So I responded saying, Brian Sage, is this you? Brian Sage, number 173862. I see you're close to Deboggin. I'll play you there for $1,000. Now, did I look up and see that his rating was like 800 something and he plays an MA three? Yes, I did. Uh, I had to make sure that I could beat him. Right. Um, so, so I hit him with that. Someone followed it up. Shout out to Eli Bowman. Eli Bowman followed it up saying, I'll give him a thousand dollars just to show up and play you real talk. Let me know. Uh, Brian Sage responded to that saying, I will, I'd play, I play him for a hundred dollars. I got that to lose. I definitely won't win but I'd love to see how close I could get on one of my home courses. So he just, so he just changed up real quick, whether or not he finishes off with this. Wow. That went crazy fast. LOL. Toboggan is closed at the moment. LOL. But I also don't get a grand to lose. LOL. But I'm only spitting my opinion. You're going to have to get used to that. If you're going to be professional, LOL. I just never seen you play at any of these guys level on this post, but I bet you sell more. But if you want people to take you seriously, play better, win, or compete with these pros. I would definitely play around with you and get beat for my comments. But I said what I said. Win something before you compare yourself to these guys in this post. So first off, 
wasn't my post, right? Someone else posted this. I don't know how you would respond to this, Calvin, but this is my thing. Pro, pro disc golfers are going to be ridiculed, criticized. They're going, I mean, we do it in the NFL. We talk about there are 32 starting quarterbacks in the NFL. However, we literally say that some of these guys suck. They suck. This guy sucks at quarterback. When in fact, he yeah. is one of the best 32 in the world. But in the grand scheme of things, he sucks in comparison. Yes. Does like Zach Wilson suck? Yeah. He sucks in comparison to Patrick Mahomes. But does he suck compared to me and you? Absolutely yeah. not. So that would that was my only take on it is I'm completely fine if you say I suck towards other people. And I'd probably do. You're probably right. But if you call me out and say that you could beat me, be ready for me to show up. I will fly. I'm serious. I will fly to Detroit and play you for a thousand dollars. I'm not joking. I'll make easy money there. And also it'd be great content. Um, How would you respond to this though? If you saw, I I might be a little bit different than some, because I do actually have fun with this and I do enjoy the back and forth a little, but uh, how would you respond if um, uh, let's say you, you couldn't ignore it. Let's say you had to respond because okay. you probably would ignore it. But if you couldn't ignore it and you had to respond, what are you going with? What am I going with? Man. Correct. Someone says you're trash. You're never going to win a major. I could beat you. Uh, no, no problem. I mean, I think I would just say, uh, show up at the next event. We'll see who wins. Yes. Okay. I love that. I, I don't think I'm flying out to go beat him. I feel like that's giving them more time of day than than they deserve. Well, content, but, Calvin. Content. I got a YouTube channel. I got to make that. YouTube videos, but, brother. Yeah, but um, <laughs> I mean, everyone's entitled to their opinion. I don't know, and and the, everyone has one. So I, I just I don't think there's really it's worth putting too much time and thought into most of them. It's just like if you really feel that way, show up. You know, sure. Can I give you a suggestion? You know, you know exactly where I'm going to be playing. <laughs> like, you know, I'm going to be at all the tour stops. So just find your way to get into one of them and we'll see if you beat me. Uh, a, a dark horse move, Calvin, would be for you to Venmo him the amount of money it is to register for the event or pre register <laughs> somehow and be like, hey, I registered you. See you in Florida for the Florida Open, brother. Yeah. Sponsor um, exemption or something. Sponsor yeah, the event. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's always, it's always fun. Uh, I always get a kick out of it when I see, uh, I see people, uh, chirp on Twitter, on, on Twitter or Facebook or whatever it is. All right. This week in foundation disc golf, what went down? A lot went down. Um, if you missed it, here are some of the highlights. So first things first, we had Robbie Connor and Trevor go out to the, uh, I guess you'd call it like an ace course or a tiki course, I guess might be the actual name where all the holes are aceable and it's a really fun course to make content on. And they're playing this like ace challenge where you only had 20 throws, but if you hit metal, you gain five throws back and they got to see like, could you, could you ace at some point before finishing out? This was what happened. So. Oh, no metal. So oh, let's throw up uh, Robbie here. Oh, that was come on. Oh! Oh! No way! All right, so for our it's listeners at home, what ended up happening, 
There's a railing short of the basket. And by short, I mean like 10 feet short. Um, All right, Silas, you can pull it down. Um, 10 10 feet... (laughs) 10 feet short of the basket, it's a railing. He throws a forehand. It skips off the top of the railing, goes into the basket. Do you have any crazy aces like that where it skips off of some sort of object? Hmm. Nothing's coming to mind at the moment. Bounces off of a house. Of a, of a, a tr- Do you have a tree ace? Or like a kick off of a tree into the basket? I mean, no, nothing, nothing that's like super noticeable where it would have been like a kick close to the basket. And then I, I'm trying to think. Most of you just yeah. go straight in. Yeah, or just like a little skip off the ground. I'm, I'm, it's very possible that I'm forgetting something, but no. Well, you did have that one at Northwood where like your putter blew up when he threw the top. Yeah, that one was so, crazy. It was so crazy that, that I forgot about it. That, that one was maybe your craziest. Um, all right. So if you thought that was crazy, this is what happened right after the next hole. Go ahead and run it, Silas. Oh, no. Oh, oh. oh! All right. So again, the breakdown of this, I think I might've had the perfect comment in, uh, in response to this. It was the ugliest and most beautiful throw I've ever seen in my entire life. He completely rolls his wrists on a forehand and just straight turfs it. There's so many leaves though, that it hits on Annie and then kind of catches edge on the leaves and then pops up on Heiser, skips again, double skips into the basket. I mean, again, if you're listening, go to Foundation uh, Foundation Disc Golf's Instagram to watch both of these. These were back-to-back crazy aces that you just, I mean, it's, when I saw that, I was like, of course it happened to Connor. This is also the same guy that went out to a hole and he had to ace it for in a live stream. And it's like a 230, 240 foot hole downhill, nothing in the way. He was out there for eight hours, never did it. He streamed for eight hours straight, never did it. Uh, and then he pulls that off. So super impressive. Um, Hunter's Break 68 series also just dropped. A new episode dropped today. If you haven't watched that, go check it out. I play New London with only a passion to kind of show the difference in what is possible out there. If you kind of just play smart, we'll see if Hunter can ever do it. The last thing in the foundation world, the foundation disc golf creator Academy. So Calvin, this is what happened. This this is what's going on in our world. Okay. This is the problem with our world today. People see something and then they don't read everything they don't watch everything. They just assume. And then they just throw it out there as a fact. So the issue that we had was Hunter came out with a video explaining what the Foundation Disc Golf Creator Academy is. It's basically a way for up-and-coming YouTube creators or social media creators to have a network of people and to use us as a resource to kind of help them along their social media journey, if you will. People thought that we were charging for this when in fact it's completely free and we never said anything about charging it. 
So if you're listening and you thought we were charging, you might be missing out. It's completely free. If you're interested, check it out. If you're not, no big deal. What, what do you have to say, though, about, Calvin, the people that see something, make a judgment on it, and then just blast it out without – and I've been, I've, had, I've been at fault for doing this multiple times. But what, what can we do to get better at that? Yeah, I mean, I think it's just doing your due diligence. I mean, it's very easy to to just, you know, see something at its initial face value and make a judgment, you know, and it can be terribly wrong because you just may have completely misinterpreted the situation. I think we're all guilty of that at some point or another. Um, it, it's hard just to, it can be hard to just always, you know, do your due diligence and, and read everything and, and see everything for what it actually is. And, um, you know, we're always going to make those mistakes, but all we can do is just try our best to to not and and make sure if we are going to make a comment or a a judgment and, you know, especially make it public and not just leave it in our head, just make sure we know what we're talking about before we do it. That's why I like this podcast, honestly, because a lot of times it's like, I don't, I don't necessarily have the time to maybe research every single topic as much as I would want to. So I like bringing people on that are experts or people that are involved in that topic to not only inform me of what's going on, but also inform the audience too. So uh, that is, that is kind of a cheat code I have, I guess, with the podcast. All right. Pace of play article. I kind of want to brush over this real quick. Um, this was an article that was put out. When was this put out? This was put out in 2023, April 19th. This was a golf digest article. So this is golf specific, but again, disc golf, very similar to golf. So these, this article is called the, uh, the seven sins of slow play. So Calvin, what's your stance on slow play? Just so we can get it on the record. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not a fan of slow play. I, you know, you, you, you wait on the people in front of you over and over again. It gets very frustrating because I do think um, part of our game is getting in a rhythm. And when you have those weird stop moments that like you're not anticipating or you just don't regularly have, I think it, it does affect you. It's, it's hard to, to just get in into the mental zone or even just, you know, stay warm at times. So I I, I do think, you know, I don't know. I I think it's really just, yeah, cards in front of you holding you up. I I don't, I guess I don't necessarily have a, if it was always the same pace, I don't think it would be an issue, but you know, it's like when you're catching up this, I don't know when you're catching up to people and waiting, it is an issue, but if we all just really played really slow, it probably wouldn't be that big of an issue. See, now I, I disagree a little bit with that because I don't think it'd be an issue for us, but I think it'd be an issue for spectators. I think a big, a a big, a big thing that we should be thinking about is how do we make disc golf more digestible to the fans and the people watching at home? I don't think disc golf rounds should be taking four hours. We don't walk that far. We don't throw that far. We don't uh, take forever to putt. There's a lot of things that should speed up pace of play. Now, obviously, we play in foursomes. I think if we got to threesomes, twosomes in the future, that would definitely help. But to me, man, if I think it's so much easier to sell someone on sitting down on their couch on Saturday or Sunday for two hours than it is like, hey, sit down for six. Yeah. 
I, I do agree with that. I don't know if we we're going to be, I mean, even if you played in a twosome on a lot of our courses, I don't know if we we're, you, you're going to get yourself down to a two hour round. Uh, yeah. I mean, two hours might be, might be on the low end for some courses. I want to say, um, I want, is there a way that we can look up? Can you look up old rounds, how fast you played? Cause I know, I know at, uh, what's the GMC, what's the secondary course out there? It's, uh, the, the open course. Fox run. Fox run. Why did I say meadows? Fox run. Let me see. Let me see if this will work here. If I pull up my rounds, do I not have any rounds out there? Dang. I don't have anything on you, this. Me, Corey Ellis, and Colton played. We were the first ones out. We played in a threesome. And this was, if you remember, this was two years ago when those storms rolled in the final day really bad. You guys had to play pretty much the whole round in terrible storms. We saw yeah. that was, we saw that weather was going to be an issue. So we all agreed on the first tee, like, hey, if we play really quickly, we might get out of here before the weather gets bad. And I think it started raining on us on hole 16. So we almost made it all the way through without. We played so much faster, though. So it is, it is like, I, don't, I, I think sub two hours is probably unfeasible, but there is a massive difference between like a two-hour and 45-minute round and like a four-hour round. Yeah. Here are some of the things that are causing slow playing golf. You have the idle waiting. So what this is is basically when you're just watching everyone do their warm-up routine, and then when they throw, then you start your warm-up routine. You take out your rangefinder to see how far it is. You do all your practice throws. You start trying to figure out what disc you're trying to throw versus having that all figured out while they're kind of doing their thing. That saves a whole lot of time. Um, yeah. bag mismanagement. This is a, this is not a huge one for us, but I have seen it happen. If you set your bag on the wrong side of the hole, I mean, again, we're going to the nitty gritty here, but if you set your bag on the wrong side of the hole, after you make a putt, you have to now go walk to get your bag and then walk back cross. If you put your bag in the right spot, saves you a little bit of time. Um, cart mismanagement. We don't have carts, so we don't have to worry about that. This one surprisingly this is the did i ever tell you about the time we all relish the social opportunities that golf provides because it can be the perfect setting for catching up with friends and family but that does not license to tell and trick intricate stories on the tee box when someone is lining up a putt or when everyone else has their eyes glued to the ground looking for an errant tee shot you'd be surprised this happens on the pro tour where you'll just get people starting to like have a conversation on the tee box and like no one is like no one we're not waiting on anyone but like someone's just like trying to finish their story you would think that wouldn't really happen in like professional golf but it does in disc golf as well um the other one I would say for me that really stands out for pace of play, the rest are kind of more golf specific, but the other one that stands out for me is just the walking speeds, man. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? The walking speeds, like you could, we could save so much time just by walking quicker. Yeah. It's not even, I guess it is walking quicker, but I think like just getting down the fairway, you know, I, there are there are times where you're playing with people and there's zero urgency to get down the fairway at all. And 
I feel like there is quite a bit of time wasted just waiting for someone to walk, you know? And, like, it, it's like I, I, you're not going to expect, like, you know, the last guy on, guy on the box to, you know, be the first one down the fairway, especially, you know, like, I feel like I'm pretty quick off the box a lot of times. Same with, like, Ricky. Like, I'm not expecting that guy to, to be up there with me, you know, if they were the last one to go. But, like, there are times where you just you get down there and I feel like I can see my disc and maybe it's not my turn to throw and I've already game planned my next shot before the person that's supposed to throw even gets to their disc. And it's like, it's like, man, just a little bit of urgency and like understanding yep. that like, it's, it's your turn. You a need to get hustle. up here would go, would go quite a long way. Yeah. A little hustle could help. I posted something. Uh, I don't, did you see the, this, uh, it was like a clip that kind of went viral, I guess, in the disc golf world, not really outside the disc golf world, but this guy was kind of going around colleges and interviewing a bunch of girls saying like, what is the most attractive sport uh, a guy can play? And like, what is a sport that you don't want to see a guy play? And she ends up saying like Frisbee golf. So then like all us disc golfers or whatever, like throw a sick clip right after she says that. Right. Yeah. Um, a lot of people got really upset that she said frisbee golf. And so I made a post that said, listen, if you're upset with people saying frisbee golf instead of disc golf, you better not be saying ball golf instead of golf. You better be yeah. calling it golf because that is the same situation. Getting upset because someone calls it frisbee golf, you're doing the same exact thing by calling it ball golf and not golf. So this, this kind of goes back to an argument I've had for a while, all the way back to debate night, which was the beginning of what this show has turned into. I've dropped it now to where I don't care whether you call it Frisbee golf. I, I've actually never really cared if you call it Frisbee golf. For a long time, though, I did get really offended with people calling it ball golf because I was like, it's not ball golf, it's golf. At this point, I don't really care. All I'm saying is, if you care about Frisbee golf, you better not call it ball golf. That's fair. That's completely and then people fair. Are like, well, if I say golf, how do you know what I'm talking about? Like, well, well if you say golf, I'm golf. assuming you're saying golf. If you say disc yeah. golf, I'm assuming you're saying disc golf. That's how I know what you're talking about. So, yeah. Yeah. It was um, the original. It doesn't need the secondary descriptor. Yeah. But there are, I, I get it. There are people that didn't play golf or didn't play other sports and have only really played disc golf. So they just call it golf amongst their friends. Right. And they yeah. all know what they're talking about. That just doesn't work when you go like outside that sphere. It's yeah. kind of similar to like someone coming over here from Europe and saying football, we all think throwing the ball touchdown NFL. We yeah. don't think soccer. So a little bit in the same. Um, all right. You love these. I think we had last time you were on or two times ago, we had one of these on here and you got a little chuckle. So hopefully you'll get one here too. Uh, lost disc etiquette. So this was a post. I think this was on Reddit somewhere. Um, the person says, did you lose a disc at Arcadia park? The guy responds, what disc? And then the other guy responds, you tell me what you lost. He responds with, I haven't played there before yet, but I've had instances where I've had lost discs appear at other courses. So then he responds with, okay, a dark one. And then he responds back saying, dude, just tell me what the disc is. 
Don't understand why you're acting like a jerk. I've lost multiple <laughs> multiples over there in the last few weeks. <laughs> so what is what, <laughs> what is the disc golf etiquette? If you find someone's disc, it's got a number on it. Are you needing them to tell you what the disc is for you to feel like it is theirs? No, I, I think if I'm going through the trouble and calling the person whose number is already on the disc, I've already accepted that it's their disc. Like they, their their phone number's on it, and I'm calling this number for a reason to get the disc back or <laughs> at least try to. So why do they need to tell me what disc it is? I, I don't quite get that. But yeah, I, I, I think if you're going to go out, I don't know. That's a weird situation. I don't quite understand what's going on. It's like they want to keep the disc, but they wanted to let the person know that they're going to keep their disc almost. But yeah, I'm not, I'm not entirely sure. So who, if you're listening to this, if you ended up posting this and you're listening to it, please reach out and let us know what ended up happening from this. If anything, did you get the disc back? What went, when it went on? Um, there was another instance that someone talked about where they reached out to the person to said like, Hey, I found your disc. And then I guess they proceeded to play a couple holes with the disc and ended up losing it on a different hole. So then they reached back out saying, Hey, um, I actually ended up losing the disc, which is a worse nightmare because the guy said that he, and originally this was a story that was sent in for another one of our podcasts, but he was saying that he lost the disc. He was looking for it. He was running out of time and was like, I'll just come back then a day from now and, and look for it. So now he has no idea where the disc is because someone just picked yeah. it up and lost it on another hole. So, um, That's tough. I, I feel like if you are going to do that, which I'm not suggesting, if you find a disc, you probably shouldn't play with it. But if you are going to, you probably shouldn't message the person until after to be like, Hey, I still have it. Uh, yeah. That would be the safe play for, for yourself. <laughs> for sure. Um, all right. We're going to try something here. We've got time. So I, I want to try this with you. If this is a hit, if you guys are listening and you like this, we can do more of this. Uh, I don't think I'm going to be very good at this, Calvin. So I might need you to carry me here. All We're right. going to try a disc golf sporkle. Do you know anything about sporkle? No. Okay. If you guys like this also, you can by all means go out and create your own sporkles that me and Yuli or whoever, if Calvin comes back, we can all try more. This is a website that is user generated. So users can go on and create their own quizzes. And then we basically take the quiz and try to do the best. So the one I picked, I feel like we should be okay at. Um, we'll I don't that. know. I mean, there was one where it was like, name every major champion from like ever. And I'm like, oh, I'm not, I'm not going to know any of those. Oh, it's disc golf um, trivia. Oh, gosh. So, so it's not really trivia. It's a little bit different. So what we're going to try to do, Calvin, is we're going to have 10 minutes to try to name as many discs as we can that were used by the top 10 MPO players in the 2021 Disc Golf Pro Season. Now, Calvin, you are one of these people. So I'm hoping we can at least get all of yours. So let me give you the names because it might be hard for you to see all of them. We've got Ricky Wysocki. Eagle, yourself, Paul McBeth, Adam Hammies, Kyle Klein, Kevin Jones, James Conrad, Nico Castro, Chris Dickerson. 
So we're gonna I'm gonna have Silas kind of start us here, and we're just gonna start rattling off. Now they're listed putter, mid-range, fairway, distance. So that kind of can help us to narrow it down. And uh, we're just going to have Silas. We can't go super fast because Silas is going to have to type him in. Uh, but we'll, we'll, Silas, you good with typing him in? Okay, Silas is ready to go. Um, Wait, all right, yeah, this, is, this, is, this is what year again? 2021, so two years 2021. ago. 2021. Okay, um, so three so seasons. So real quick, let's, let's just game plan real quick. 2021, we have Ricky at, Ricky was at Dynamic. Two years ago, right? Yeah. Wait, wait, what is he? Oh, did he go to did he go to Latitude? Or did did, did he go to Dismania or just Dynamic Dis already? Or for Innova? Wait, was he Innova? Man, we're gonna be bad at this game. We don't even we'll, know. We'll find out real quick. We'll yeah, find out real quick by by uh by just by just doing it. Okay, so size here, start us up. This can get really bad. Here we go. Uh all right, Calvin. All right, KC Pro AVR. Yeah, KC I mean, Pro you, AVR. Should I just start like maybe just go AVR? Maybe just go AVR, Silas. Try AVR. All right, AVR. All right, we got AVR. Rock. All right. Rock. Rhino. Rhino. Firebird. Firebird. Yes. Eagle. Eagle. Seabird. Destroyer. Thunderbird. Oh, he's crushing this. I love it. I mean, AVRX3, I don't okay, know. Ricky, Ricky's on Innova. Ricky's on Innova. Because he Pig. has a destroyer. Yep. Pig. Pig. Whale. Let me know when you want me to jump in. Let me know when you jump in. Jump in. Um, I don't know what else Ricky Zeus, is on. Zeus. Zeus. Go Zeus. Paul McBeth. Um, Force. New okay, Avenger SS <laughs> Buzz Luna. Okay, um, let's think too. Chris Dickerson, where was he? He wasn't at, was he Prodigy. at Discraft too? No, he would have been at Prodigy then. So oh my god, a, he has yeah. so many distance drivers, yeah, he has so, eight distance drivers. So it'll be, it'll be M3, um, M4. In four, Kevin Jones. Yep. Uh, uh, was that F FX1? FD? Wait, do FD, FD for uh, Kyle Klein? FD for Kyle Klein? Um, yep. DD3. What is Adam Putt with? Challenger? No. P2. Yeah, P2. Oh, zone. Zone, hit zone. Um, MD three, MD five. No MD five. Is that a thing back then? Uh, mm, FD. Uh, hit me with a hit me with a raptor. Hit me with a raptor. PD. What else did he throw? Um, I feel like Kyle Klein throws like the DD2 oh, uh, maybe. Give me give me an Undertaker. Can I take Undertaker please? Uh oh, Malta? Give me that Malta. 
Uh, what was Matter that other thing you threw? Wasp. Give me a wasp. Wasp. Yes. Yes. Okay. What do we have left? Where are we uh, at right now? Oh, oh we're crushing God. it. Let's. We're crushing uh, this. No, we're crushing this. Um, I'm trying to think what other project is we said. Uh, yeah, it's, it's hard that we can't. In 2021, he? he was MVP, so it would have been... Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Ion? Yeah, Ion? Axiom? Is that, is that no, a classic? That, that's one of their product lines. So, um, <laughs> it would be like Tesla. Neutron? Or a... <laughs> Photon? The... Photon's definitely one. Hex is definitely one. Oh, Hex, good one. Envy is definitely one. I mean, that's what you know his business with all right i'm using i'm using chat i'm um, using chat onyx hit me with onyx yes hit me with envy o octane reactor nomad uh what we do we have any of eagles Okay. What about Nico? Do we have any Nikos? What was Nico in twenty two? No Nico. Where was Nico in twenty twenty one? He was he Westside. Oh my gosh! Where was Nico? He go through the FD two, right? I think he did. Yep, FD two, DD three, Rainmaker. I guess that's DD. That's just, I guess that's. I like don't a, think I don't think that exists. Oh, Splice, Splice, Splice. P3X. Oh, mutant. mutant. Uh, yes, mutant. mutant. Nice one. P P3X. PD2. Oh, that's a good one. PD and PD2. You got both those? Yeah. FX2 for Dickerson. Okay. D3. Um, you probably, probably, put, probably put D3, D2, and D1 all in there for like Kevin and Chris. They yeah, good call. X1. Good. Oh, tilt, tilt. Kyle Klein, tilt. Wait, what the um, heck was, where was Nico? In 2021, Nico was with Westside, right? Did you get Logic too? Did you do a Logic so what for Kyle been, Klein? Westside? What was he, Ati, was he Gateway? Was he Gateway? Oh, man, I don't know. Try Ati and, or Anvil. Oh, Anvil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. okay. Westside, then. So, oh man. No wizard. The wizard's not there. No wave either for James Conrad. Maybe giant. Maybe through the giant. Actually, I no. think Nico might have been throwing like defenders back then. I need to get the rest of these. I need. I need to get the um, rest of these for for, for Paul and Adam. Fortress? I should I should get all these. Let me try to think. Paul and Adam. What were they throwing? Was Fortress on there? Um, man, mid ranges. What would Nico throw? Maybe a fuse. Chat. I need you guys to help me out with more, more. Um, oh, mayhem. No, mayhem's not entropy. And oh, entropy's there. Nice, entropy's there. Pure. No, pure's not there. What Try are these? Stag. What are these? 
what are these discraftists I'm I'm missing? What what's this other um, Maiden? I know. What are the fairways? Mantis? Undertaker, Onyx. Did you say Mantis? Yeah. <laughs> That's like um, Yuli, maybe. Undertaker and Onyx Raptor. Those are... No. The Heat? Oh, Heat! 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 Yes! Okay, Heat. Uh, what else did he throw? Stalker, maybe? No. Mm. Who, who are you looking for? We, we, need, we need putters, too, for Adam. And how does Adam not have a zone in his bag? Focus. Adam. Oh, he does. He does put the focus. Yeah, focus. Focus. Oh, okay. Um, Wait, what was oh, the other putt? What are his two putters? Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Uh, so nice. wait, what else do we need from this crowd? Reaper. Oh, yeah, Reapers. He had those. No, like... it's not on here. Good, Yuli. I need more though. We okay. Wait, we need one more mid range. We need more, one more mid range for Buzz SS. Was he throwing that? No, I don't think so. What that? He was throwing a Buzz, a Wasp, and then like what? What else did he throw? Did we already say Malta? Yeah, that he doesn't have it. He has two fairway drivers and a mid range. That we're missing. That we're missing from Paul. We have all of Adams. Um, a comet? No. Someone said tantrum for uh, Conrad. That's not on there. Um, yeah, you looking at the chat, Silas? Yeah. Okay. the The chat, the chat's throwing some good ideas out there. What? Two fairways for Paul? I don't think. I don't think this is. I don't think these are real fairways. This is twenty twenty one. The Athena wasn't around yet. Did he? Did he throw a tracker at all? Ooh. No, that's wow. a good guess. Up, that was it. Nice, Calvin. Okay. All right, one more. What the heck else did he throw? Fairway. Oh, a Hades. Is that technically a fairway? That's a distance. That's that's a distance. distance yeah, Vulture's not on there either. All right, let's skip him. Do we have all all Calvin's? Do we have all Calvin's? So is three on there? Draco. Cayman. Okay, Cayman. Okay, so we got all fairways. Nice. And we already put in Rhino, AVRX3, and KC AVR. Or like just... Okay. All right, Calvin's all done. All right, who... We're done? All right, how'd we do? How'd we do? I feel like that's. Oh, dang. How did we miss that? Oh, a predator. Dang. Okay. I that feel was like tough. We I missed a ton of Nico's discs. I don't think we got any of Nico's, did we? <laughs> it took us five minutes for us to figure out what he was even sponsored by in 2021. <laughs> oh, man. That was tough. Okay. So if you guys enjoyed that, uh, make some of your own. Challenge us. We'll probably do this every once in a while on the during the off season. I don't know. That's kind of fun. Maybe maybe next time we will we'll do the uh, 
There was one that was like world championships. So you have to name everyone that has won a world championship. That'd be tough. I feel like I you can get a lot, but then you, yeah, I feel like you would miss. All right, let's move on to listener questions. We got some listener questions tonight. This one comes from Joe Rod from Facebook. Do you think that before DGPT tournaments, pro players should hold short junior clinics to help grow the sport? Maybe the DGPT should reach out to local schools for clinics. Sponsors love these kinds of things. The Farmers Open at Torrey Pines also involves local charities and the sales of tickets to the tournament. The charity keeps a portion as a fundraiser. What are your thoughts on that? Should we be doing more leading up to a tournament in the community, specifically with the youth? Yeah, I mean, I think that's always a good thing. I mean, I, I feel like it's, it can be a little tough when it comes to a tournament week. There is generally quite a bit of stuff going on. Um, I, I mean, that is kind of what you play, I think, does a good bit of. And there are a handful of pros that do, you know, essentially do that wherever, you know, you play has having like an event that co- coincides with a pro tour event. Um, yeah, I, I, I think there's just a lot of levels to that as far as like what the event is. And I don't know. Sometimes that just doesn't feel like there's there really, there really is enough time, but I do think it is something that it would be beneficial for sure. I mean, it, it I mean, getting discs into the hands of, of kids is, is really important for the sport as far as it's, it's future growth. I like the idea too, of, of not even charging for tickets, right? You show up, you're part of this clinic, you get free tickets to Sunday. And you can just show yeah. up and have a lot more kids out there. I think that's all, all good stuff. And yeah, you play, you're right. You play does a lot of this already and does some great stuff. So hopefully that continues. Uh, Paul Wilds from Facebook wants to know what is better new disc that flies like you want or beating in a disc to your liking. Um, it's, I mean, I, I do love having a disc that's out of the box, just right where I want it. Um, that that is pretty dang nice. I, whether or not it lasts there very long, that's a different question. But I, I would say, I would say having if I generally if I have a disc I like out of the box, I have a pretty big stack of it. So I would say I would prefer that than having to beat in a disc. Yeah, I think you fall in love with the disc that you beat in and you're like, oh yeah. man, this has a really nice flight, but you really enjoy getting a disc out of the box that you're expecting it to do something and it does that. That's yeah. like the greatest feeling. Uh, you never really get, you never really throw a disc out of the box that does something different and be like, oh, I'm just going to put this in my bag and hopefully it beats into a disc that's useful, right? So, yeah. Uh, Andrew Foss from Facebook. And if you guys are wondering how to get your questions answered on the podcast, make sure you guys are following us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Um, and that's where we kind of take these questions. So Andrew Foss wants to know, uh, oh, there's a question directed towards me. He wants to know, would you rather win amazing race and get redemption with Paul as your partner or win a major on the pro tour? This is a pretty easy one for me. Mainly because I don't know if me and Paul would actually win. I think the partner I had at the time was probably the best partner I could have. Uh, we were teammates before, so I think we worked really well together. I think me and Paul actually would work 
really well together. And uh, I think he's also talented in a lot of different things. So he would be a good partner on the Amazing Race, but this is an easy one. I think for me, winning a major, it'd actually be a lot less money, but I think you'd go down more in the record books for winning a major than winning on the Amazing Race. So that's what I would say with that. Levi Lapidary, this is from Twitter, is throwing in snow with bad footing a detriment to your game or should you play no matter what? Is a good question. Um, well, I've never played in snow, but my guess is, is if the weather is that bad, it's probably not great for your game. You're probably throwing completely different than you normally would. I guess it just depends on what you're trying to do. Like, it, if we're saying, if is it bad for your game as far as like, you know, are you getting good practice to be better? to go play on the disc golf pro tour. No, you're not, you're not getting good practicing. You know, we never played. Well, I won't say never. It's not a couple of times, but odds are you're not going to play in snow. You're feeling like mud. Mud would be like the equivalent to what we kind of see. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that, I don't know. I, I, I just, for me, I think of the cold weather and I think of how much different it feels like a, just gripping a disc feels and having it come out of the hand. And it's just, that's not like a, a feeling we get that often on the pro tour and you know when it is you can definitely tell you can watch people struggle but i i don't think it's um i don't know i don't i don't think it's it's really hurting you but i don't think it's really helping you that much going and playing in that weather all right we have a we have a question here from our tour life crew shout out to our tour of crew he wants to know calvin do you think failure lake was too easy for a pro tour stop how did you like it um, yeah, that was the course I got to stop at in Pennsylvania. It, uh, it was pretty cool. I mean, I really only got the one playthrough and skins through it. So it's, it's hard for me to truly judge the course and like how difficult it was. Um, I don't think it would be like that a hard course on the pro tour, but, um, it was a pretty awesome course. They had great elevation and I mean, I don't think it would be that hard necessarily to even tweak it a little to where it could be a pro tour level course. I would say the one drawback to that place is it, it seems to be a little out in the middle of nowhere, but uh, the property itself and the course, it was super fun and it was, it was awesome. I, I would definitely love to go back there and play again. Yeah. We don't really have anything in that. It, we kind of just like bounce up MVP GMC and then we're out. Yeah. Wouldn't it be bad to kind of spend a little bit more time up there? All right, this one comes from our Discord. Tomatoes, they want to know, at this point, I believe there's a disc for every realistic shot. How do, you, how do disc manufacturers combat this to still try to grow? Are they researching to find better technology and make discs that actually make a difference? Or are they content with costing or coasting by and making the same molds over and over again with different plastics? Well, I think, uh, you know, we are getting there, but I, I think they're like, you can create two discs that, that fly the same and they feel different. And maybe, you know, one person likes one and one person likes another. So, um, I don't necessarily think like that's, that's a bad thing either. I think, I don't know. I, I think there's still quite a bit to be anchored with. And then like a lot of discs are very different, you know, thrown you know, at 50 miles an hour compared to 70 miles an hour. So 
I, I think there's still quite a bit to be found as far as is creating discs. Yeah, I think what I think what Discraft is kind of doing right now with the zone where they have the zone with the ringer top and then the zone with the banger top is really interesting. I think that is something that maybe in the future can kind of be looked at to where, like you said, the discs are roughly the same and are going to fly about the same, but they feel differently. I think that's a I think that's an interesting thing in the future. Now, how do you how do you market that? Do you market it as, oh, these two discs are completely different? Or do you say like, this is, yeah, I have a water bottle right here. So do you say this is bottle one and this is bottle two? And the only difference is the actual, um, you know, feel of it, right? So I guess that could be interesting. Um, all right, next one up is Colton Sparks. Similar to how there is a max weight to a disc, do you think that there should be a minimum weight? I have seen people with very light putters who can putt much farther than they really should be able to with their form. Sorry, I was tinkering around with these settings for a second. I hear an echo on my end. I don't know if it was Oh, yeah. Size, so you get that little echo action? I do hear a little echo now, too. Echo, echo. Oh, it's gone. All right. It's all gone. Um, All right. Colton Sparks. Yeah, it's all gone. Um, Colton Sparks just wants to know, should there be, since there is a maximum weight to disc, should there be a minimum weight to disc? Um, I I don't think so. Uh, I think as far as like minimum weight to go, like I, I think it's great to have really wide discs and you know, there is essentially a minimum weight. It, it's like how, how you can get like, there's an amount of plastic you need to fill the mold at some point. So like, but I don't think there really needs to be a minimum weight. It really is good to get discs that are super wide into to kids hands and, and let them throw and, and actually see a disc fly. I don't think there's that much of an advantage either of throwing lightweight discs. No, like it's I, not. I think, um, like the advantage is for people that have like, you know, slower throws, you know, if you're not quite getting a disc up to speed, it kind of helps you get it up to speed and um, you actually get to see the disc fly. But as soon as you get, you know, to the pro level, everyone's getting the disc up to speed. So it, it would, it's almost like a disadvantage to be thrown with the lighter weight disc sometimes when it gets windy. Yeah, exactly. Uh, okay, a couple more here. We have one from one of your biggest fans. This is Fake Big Hunt. What advice would you give people who are trying to make it on the pro tour? Well, I think uh, first you just need to get out locally and maybe even regionally and, and just play events and kind of show yourself that you know you can win at that level before you're really – can even be thinking about playing on, on the pro tour. You need to, I think, honestly, I think learning to, to win and, and play against tight competition is kind of a skill. So it's, yeah, going out regionally first, playing your regional players, showing yourself that you can beat them. And then once you're there, I guess it's like, you know, it's hard to get on the pro tour. You know, it's kind of gatekept by the fact that if you're not on the tour, you can't get points. So, um, I think at this point it's kind of looking into the the new series that the pro tour is, is creating for the 2024 season and, and seeing how, how you might be able to play on that series to qualify for the pro tour. Yeah. You make great points. And the other thing 
I would say additionally would, would be to look at the type of courses that are played on the pro tour and then try to find courses that are similar to that in your area or make up holes. You know, if you can, if you can on some courses, make up holes that kind of fit that. Because if you're just going and you're playing a bunch of C tiers and local B tiers and you're playing a bunch of like short par three courses, that's not really going to translate that well. So what Calvin said is like, I agree that you should try to figure out how to win in your local area. But also if you're just like killing it and you're doing awesome, but you're only doing it on courses that holes are less than 350 feet, that might not really translate to playing on the pro tour when you're playing on holes that are now 700, 800 feet long. Right. So I think the combination between playing locally and kind of beating up on the competition around you, but also still kind of having it in your head too, of like, what courses am I going to play if I get to play in a pro tour event so that you're practicing those skills, you're not just practicing the skills that are going to help you in those smaller tournaments. Um, all right. Last question. Yusuf Hakimi wants to know when will we see Afro hair Heimberg again? Well, it's hard to say. It's all just a function of how fast I grow, grow my hair out. Um, it's currently no short. haircuts in the future. Uh, no, no, nothing. I mean, I, uh, there may have been some poor decisions made at wedding number one. Um, <laughs> which, you want to uh, elaborate on that? I, I may have had a mullet for a while. <laughs> and, um, wait, by choice or you what? Know, that was cool. Decisions were made <laughs> and they happened. <laughs> I can't imagine you with a mullet. I don't. Oh, okay. There, where is there's footage out there? It exists. Okay. I, but yeah, I had a mullet for maybe uh, a week and a half, and then uh, I got rid of the mullet for what I currently have, a little shorter here. Yeah. But yeah, it was uh, um, very tight on the side, so I <laughs> I was limited on how I could recover from that. So it's really just a matter of time of um, how fast I can grow my hair out, but. Afro Calvin, he'll return as long as it's not like the middle of summer. He can't exist in summer. It's too hot. The the best way of teaching someone or learning yourself, you get what you pay for, is going to one of those, you know, uh, chain haircut places where you get a haircut for like twelve or thirteen dollars. There has been so many times where I've walked into one of those places gotten a haircut and I'm, I'm so bad at this is when they like hold the mirror up and they're like all right what do you think like what am i supposed to say like oh it's terrible like <laughs> this looks awful like it's because then it's like it, it's the same thing if like if someone brings it's a little bit different i guess with like a waiter at a restaurant it's because like if a waiter brings you the food at least you're disconnected between them and the chef but you yeah. still kind of think if you say something you're like are they going to spit my food when they bring it back it's the same kind of thought, but here it's like, if I say like, oh, this is terrible, like, are they actually going to do a good job fixing it? So there's been so many times where I've walked in, gotten a $15 haircut, and it was like, yeah, looks great. Walked out, went someone was like, hey, just give me a one and a two on top, and just buzzed it all off. Because it's like, like you said, like certain haircuts, when they are done poorly, you don't have that much to work with. Like, 
you there's not that many options. So you just shave it all off and you're like, all right, I'm buzzing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think with my mullet, I just, uh, you know, didn't have much, many options afterwards. I don't think the mullet was done poorly. I just think the mullet was a poor decision for me. Gotcha. Personal. But yeah, I, uh, I see what you're saying. I, I've experienced that as well. I think there was I've... one year where I was on tour and, uh, I went into one of those places and somehow I ended up with hair that was shorter on top than it was on no. the sides. So it was like longer <laughs> on the sides and shorter on the top. No. Oh man. Nightmare. Uh, we, uh, it was actually a tournament in Vegas. It was the first tournament for our ultimate Frisbee season. And we were all like, let's shave our numbers in the back of our heads. And we all thought that was a fantastic idea. So I was I was walking around campus for a few weeks with the number twenty one shaved in the back of my head for a bit. Uh, looking back on it, I don't know why we thought that was going to be cool. We thought it was the coolest thing ever in the moment, but looking back on it, like that just it, that just doesn't seem like cool at all. Uh, but we did it, and uh, yeah, I mean, I think I think with the hair, like crazy stuff, crazy decisions happen. I think to a lot of people. You know, you go out, you dye your hair, you do something silly. Um, it's hard to recover from it. You kind of just have to live it out for a bit. So, yeah. Um, all right. A few things housekeeping wise. Shout out to our tour life crew. We got a couple new members tonight. Thank you guys. Uh, the Spotify versus Apple battles uh, to get you kind of up to par here, Calvin. We've been having a battle between our Spotify listeners and our Apple listeners. And you know what? Tonight, we're going to have a battle with our YouTube listeners. You guys that are listening right now on YouTube, drop a like on this video. Let's see if we can get more likes on this video than reviews on Spotify and Apple. Right now, we have 740 reviews on Spotify, 194 reviews on Apple. Spotify listeners, you are absolutely dominating it. We'll see if YouTube can win tonight and get more likes on the video uh, right now than reviews. We'll see what happens, but we appreciate everyone that is watching the podcast and listening it wherever you may be. We are going to be doing a 5k Instagram giveaway very soon on Instagram. So if you haven't yet, go check out Instagram uh, found a tour life underscore pod, I think, or tour life underscore podcast. One of those will get you there. The giveaway I'll give you a little sneak peek. It's going to be this new disc that actually drops tomorrow at 7 p.m. You've got the Ying and the Yang Dark Horse Nuke. It's double stamped, two different foils on it. Uh, this drops tomorrow at 7 p.m. on brodysmith.discraft.com. That will be the giveaway uh, at some point whenever we hit 5,000 on Instagram. So go over and check that out if you haven't already. And Tour Life, the Tour Life team has extended, has grown. We've been talking about the interview process for a while. I was looking at just hiring one person. We hired three. We hired three people. We've got David, Grant, and Edwin that will be helping out in the future. I'll kind of give a little bit more information, and maybe you guys get to meet them at some point on the podcast. But shout out to those guys. Let them know in the in the comments. Uh, David, Grant, and Edwin, they are all part of the team tour life moving forward. We're excited to see kind of 
how we can make this podcast bigger and better for everyone. Uh, Calvin, you got anything coming up? Any jerseys, discs, anything like that for the people to check out? Um, you know, nothing, nothing crazy, but always, as always, if anything new, you can check out at flightfactorydisc.com. Uh, they'll definitely be rolling out some stamps, um, whether it's now or, you know, coming into the holidays, but, uh, I would check out them. And then, uh, also shout out to Zach Melton. It's his birthday today. Oh, happy birthday, Zach. Melton. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm a bad friend. I have not called him yet, so that is my next order of business once okay. this is over. Well, we won't, so, we won't um, hold you up any longer. Um, we appreciate you filling in. Yuli also was in the comments. He wanted me to let you know he really appreciates you uh, jumping on here and helping us out tonight. And I know everyone listening always enjoys your thoughts on the topics of what's going on in the disc golf world. Um, just, you know, if you have any rumors of movement... You let us know, and uh, if you're interested, fake name, <laughs> yeah, anonymous, <laughs> cinnamon, anonymous. Uh, also, if you like that sporkle, I felt like you liked that sporkle a little bit. We might have to bring you back on for another uh, sporkle action here in the future. Uh, but that's gonna do it for us tonight, guys. Thanks for tuning in, everyone tuning in live. Uh, thanks to everyone that's listening to this later on. We appreciate all the support, and we'll see you all next week. <laughs>